0: Good morning. And welcome to West Seattle Christian Church. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. Uh, we are nearly done with our Unqualified series, which is the, kind of bittersweet for me. I've enjoyed this one, but I'm always looking ahead to what comes next, and we'll tell you in a few weeks what that's going to be. But um, as I was working on this week's teaching, I mean, I think everyone gets what we're talking about, qualified, unqualified. But when we talk about qualified, I'm kind of like, ask, It's good to ask the question, qualified for what? And we've said we've we've answered that by saying different things, but one way to kind of you know catapult us to the top of the theological mountain in answering that question is by saying this: if you're watching this and you have not met Jesus yet, we just want you to know that you are known and that you are loved and that God has. Uh, been after you pursuing you for as long as you've been alive the creator of the universe gave you life um, so that he could have a relationship with you and it will revolutionize revolutionize your life uh, if you meet him but if you have already met jesus and you call yourself a christian and you're walking with him congratulations it means that you are qualified to go out to a broken world And demonstrate and show and speak about this person of Jesus to bring Jesus to everyone out there and to bring them into your life so that they can know Him well. That's it. Sermon could be done now; could be over for today. But but we're gonna head into uh, uh, communion and worship a little bit later, and um, we need to do those things together. And of course, if if we just left it there. When we're talking about that question of qualified for what, then we miss a bunch of nuance and excitement, and we miss all the drama of these people who live lives who look unqualified but who become qualified or really are qualified through the eyes of God. And we want to do that again today, and we're going to do that with the story of David. So I want to read a scripture uh, piece uh, to you to begin this, and then we'll then we'll jump in. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If if Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by him. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep, Samuel said. "Sent for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had, bought, had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So in this series, we've looked at a bunch of biblical characters who I think are very much like us. And the reason I think they're very much like us is because uh, when God shows up in their lives they and asks them to do some things, they're kind of like, uh, what? I think you've got me confused with somebody else. And even all the way down to, they say things like, No. (laughs) And in fact, not only no, but I'm going to go the opposite direction and do something completely different than what you tell me, Lord, because um, I think you've got the wrong person. Um, What that tells me is that they're just ordinary people being ordinary, right? Until God shows up. And I think this provides a background question for you and me and something that I would invite you to consider as we're looking at this this morning. Here's the question. If a book of the Bible was written about you, what would it say? Interesting, right? If a book of the Bible was written about you, what would it say? Uh, Because we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired the people that wrote the Bible down. we need to know that what we're reading about these people is what God wants us to know about their lives and their situations it should be of great significance to us then, how God views our lives and our choices so that we aren't under any illusions. And really, if we are, let me just dispel all those illusions about what God thinks about you. He loves you. He loves you more than you could possibly know. So much so that he takes your life and your choices and you very, very, very seriously so with that and that question in mind let's jump in um, and talk a little bit about david so before david was king and we read in this story he's being anointed so that later on he's going to become king before he was anointed and before he was king he was just this unassuming shepherd boy and from there if you fast forward he has this moment with uh somebody named goliath which i think many of you have heard about and he becomes the second of king of israel eventually He unifies the Israelites. He brings the Ark of the Covenant, which if you're not sure about what that is, go watch Indiana Jones or just take my word for it. It's the box that had the Ten Commandments in it. He gets that back. It had been taken away from the Israelites and David brings that back. And then he writes a ton of the Psalms that are in in our Psalms in the Bible. And he was also something of a military mastermind. So he was such a big deal that despite some colossal mistakes in his life even because even, even even in spite of those he he is later jesus is later referred to as a a son of david in mark and luke and because when you look at jesus and then you look at jesus's genealogy and jesus is one of david's descendants so david even in spite of some mistakes that he makes he still ranks really heavy in the weight of of characters that we find in the bible now again if there was a book written about you when you know the stuff that's gone on in your life if there was a book of your uh, in the bible written about you and you know everything that's gone in your life what would you want to be put in there obviously you like i want you to include all the awesome things that i've done you know the good things but when you look at some of the other stories of david's life if you were like me and you looked at that and you have something similar in your story whether it's just lying or cheating or uh, being jealous or wanting revenge or whatever it is, or you've acted on any of those things, if you're like me, you're probably like, no, don't include that. We don't want to talk about that. Let's just talk about all the great things. And And that's where we're going to engage a little bit this morning, because what I want to do this morning is look at the biblical norm of calling. That idea of calling has very much to do with, in this series that we're in, being qualified. If you're called to do something, do you have to have the qualifications or do you not, Um, if you will? And so I think that we can do that by looking at a couple of the stories uh, uh, in David's life. How did he get from being a teenage shepherd and his calling to be king and and a military mastermind? What is it about his life and his interactions with God that make it remarkable? So the first thing I want to get into is this. Point number one, God's calling is explicit. We saw this in our passage earlier in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. Uh, At first, David doesn't even make the lineup, but eventually Samuel anoints David as the one. And after that, David gains a bunch of notoriety. He, especially after defeating Goliath, and then he shows some um, military muscle and prowess. And at this point, everything is looking good. charts kind of going up and to the right you know but then it's usually at that point that everything starts to go wrong and it does king saul repeatedly tries to kill david because he's jealous of him and then david is forced into hiding and so he's he's alone he's on the run he's a fugitive he's trying to stay alive and so it's kind of like you know if that was happening to you and you knew you'd been anointed it's kind of like well so much for that calling thing where i was anointed and here's what i'd say like that try positioning yourself like David at this very point he has this calling but everything has soured it's not going up into the right anymore it's going down into the right and he doesn't know how it's going to pan out not unlike our lives and so i'm pretty sure he's terrified at many points in this story when when he's doubting his calling now if this were me how would i think i know what I'm called to and not, how do I how would I even think about it when nothing seems to be working out even if I'm persevering quote-unquote I'm like it's gonna get better and I'm just pushing forward and trying to strive harder well there's some life lessons in this when you're in the middle of something like this in your life it's hard to see where you're supposed to go right like maybe it's a job change or something else is changing in your life where are you supposed to be so back to david he's in this high-stakes scenario between him and king saul and he has not one but two opportunities to kill king saul once while he's hiding in a cave and once while saul is out uh, sleeping in a field and and in other words he has these two opportunities to step into his calling he's like i can make this happen right now get back on track but he refuses to take either one of those opportunities and the question is why first Samuel uh, 23 verse 4 the men said they're, they're thinking this they're like this is the day the Lord the Lord spoke of you and you can read the, this the, the context of this before this as well if you'd like but they're telling him like now's your opportunity to kill King Saul they say this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you wish and they're like we all know what you wish but he doesn't take the bait and why because he knows that the ends don't justify the means. And the way he goes about this, his integrity is at stake. So Saul is still rightfully king. And even if he's behaving badly, David's like, I, I am not the one who has that right. He's very familiar with the 10 commandments. He's like, I'm not supposed to murder anybody. And, but what David does know is he goes to Saul to try and kind of uh, push the conversation forward. He says, hey, look, I, I could have killed you, not one times, but, but one time, but two times, and I didn't. Um, and he knows he he re, he's basically saying, look, I I know in my heart that it's not my job um, to take Saul's life. God alone has the right to take someone's life. David also knows that God has unique timing. He's not going to be rushed, and he's but he's also not going to be delayed. Um, now for us today, waiting for God's calling in our lives, that can be excruciating. It can, be, it can, it can just feel like this massive weight uh, holding you down. Like you know you have something to do, but you, you can't do it yet. You really want to do it, but it, the time hasn't come. David knew that pain really, really well. If you take a look at some of his psalms, Psalm 6 is a good example. Psalm 13 is a good example. In particular, if you have a moment, go and read those. He's wrestling with God's timing in the same ways that we do. He's wrestling with that. Like, how come this isn't happening? Or how come this is happening right now? And how long am I going to have to be patient and wait, right? What do we do then? Well, let's check off. I have this handy list of stuff David did while he was a fugitive. Number one, he's, he gets married. Yeah, while well, he's a fugitive running away and the plan doesn't seem to be working out and and uh, the calling doesn't seem to be happening, coming to uh, fruition, he gets married. He does some songwriting. Yeah, uh, he does recruitment. Uh, he does some military incursions. He does espionage and sabotage. He went from solitude to and isolation in this period of time to leading 600 men now here's the lesson if the calling comes first you need to know that you're on god's timetable not your timetable and you get busy in the meantime with whatever you can david honed his craft he built leadership skills military skills he worked on relationships with his relationship with god these are all things that he needed a master in order to be the king that God was calling him to be. And that's not easy. We don't know for sure which Psalms David wrote exactly. Some of them we do. Some we think he maybe did uh, while he was on the run. But something that Psalm 7 contains uh, is really, really catches my eye. He says in uh, Psalm 7 verse 1, Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. This is written by somebody who's scared, somebody who's desperate, who does not know what's going on. And he's pouring his heart out to God. So, you know, maybe maybe in your life this morning or whenever you're watching this, um, you've been knocked down and out. And maybe you're in a metaphorical cave hiding or you're scared. or You feel like you're on the run. You're tired. You're hurt. One of those. If this is you right now, you have a choice. And you always have a choice. You either give up or you get back up and maybe with some help and start walking with Jesus again. That's clearly the path that David was choosing here. So the first point is that God's calling was explicit in David's life. And it's also explicit in ours. That means when you uh, have affirmation from God in your life, Some way he has been speaking to you, whether you've heard him speak to you, you've read scripture and you know what you're supposed to do, your Christian friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ have said, uh, we think you should be doing this, or you've asked them and they they affirm that. Those are kind of explicit uh, to your calling. The second thing, the second point is that God's calling is implicit. Let's take a look at more of David's life uh, to make that statement a little more meaningful. you're all familiar with the story in First Samuel 17, or if you're not, go read it. It's the story of David and Goliath. Uh, if you haven't read it since you were a kid, I encourage you to read it again. Like, stop, stop the message, hit pause, and go read it. It's worth your time. But if you're not familiar with it, um, I want to point out verse 23. When David first hears Goliath taunting the Israelites, he's saying all kinds of things bad about them and about their God. And then I want to ask some questions about that. He hears. He hears Goliath's taunt and what does David do does he hold a prayer meeting does he say okay guys we need to pray about this let's have, everybody, let's have a prayer meeting does he go consult a prophet about it that'd be like you guys okay I've heard this and I, I think I know what to do but maybe I need to go talk to the elders or I need to go talk uh, to the pastor not bad ideas but David doesn't do that he doesn't need these things to see the situation for what it is And I think that's part of him growing in his faith and his walk with God. He doesn't need these things. He's close to God already. He sees the situation for what it is. He knows that God has instructed the Israelites to take the land. And the way that Goliath is talking to them is offensive not only to God because he's saying things bad about God. It's offending God and it should be offensive to the Israelites that he's saying these things. So David, he wants to know what happens to the man who kills this guy Goliath what happens to the man that shuts this guy up that's an interesting point to zero in on because when he asks that question his brothers are like "Uh, yeah we don't like what you're saying you need to stop it so what does David do he turns his back on them he says yeah I'm done with you like that's not the right answer we know what God's called us to do explicitly in this situation so what do we implicitly need to do at this point Jesus did the same thing all the time Which is what? What do you do when you know you're supposed to do something, and people tell you don't do it? We don't like that you suggested that. You turn your back on them, is what David did. Which is exactly what you do when you know what that God desires, what God desires in a certain situation, and those around you say otherwise. You you need to stick to what you know. Jesus did this all the time. And the question this leads me to a question for all of us: when we're faced with situations to which we already know the right answer, what do we do? Do we delay, do we pause, do we seek guidance? But you already know the answer, do you act? And here's the deal about this narrative. At no point anywhere in the story do we see God telling David to do anything. He's not, hey David, do this. There is no explicit instructions or calling here situationally. There is no divine commentary or dialogue. Why not? Because God has already equipped David to do what he needs to do. More importantly, David knows exactly who God is and what God's promise is to his people. He has a relationship with God in place. They're walking in lockstep with each other. And out of that relationship, with the skills that he's already honed, he chooses to act. And as we know, that spells the end of Goliath. And that starts the next phase of, the, of David's journey towards being God's anointed one. So here's what we see about callings in looking at the life of David. Really, there isn't, you can't look at that and then look at other callings in the Bible and go, there's there's, there's biblical norms for how God calls somebody. Hmm, why not, Why there aren't any. There aren't any biblical norms for how God calls somebody or what the criteria are. Because if we're Christians, we are dealing with a personal god. He what I mean by that is he wants to deal with each and every one of us individually. Yes, he will call us corporately and as a group of people to do things, but he will call us individually to do things. You know this as you go in and out your daily life. And he's going to call you to do things in the way he deems that are best for the situation that you're that you're in. What I'm getting at is that A specific calling as helpful as it might have been for David and as as helpful as it might be for us sometimes it does not seem to be what it's all about it's so far from it because really what it's all about is your relationship with him do you have a relationship with God in which you're walking lockstep with him and you know what he wants for you and you know where he's telling you to go and you know what he's put into you and what it boils down to is that God has some plans and he's inviting us into those plans to take part in them he wants us to take part he doesn't want to he doesn't want to tell us what to do all the time he's like you know the plan you know the promises i've given you you know the skills that i've given you now do what you think is right to make that done and get that done it's kind of like god and adam in the garden of eden god says to adam name the animals and he doesn't say well, like He doesn't sit around going, "Well, can I get some guidance on uh, Latin names from you?" Or, you know, uh, "Are you going to be upset if I name this one hippopotamus?" You know, no. God says, "I've given you what you need. I want you to name the animals. I made you with the creative ability to do this, and I want you to join me in this part of my in, in this part of the plan that I put forward." So God wants to be a deep and intimate, be in a deep and intimate loving relationship with us. Where he is sovereign and then we take responsibility for the tasks that he has given us and that relationship is opened up to us by the person of jesus on the cross it's the most important relationship that you and i could ever have and it has to come first and if it's not first what is it and i say that as someone who's gotten this wrong and i continue to get it wrong nearly daily in spectacular ways sometimes but i want to be clear about something else as well, because it's important to get the order right. You don't do stuff to create a relationship with Jesus, to make yourself right, to win favor. You can't. Uh, You do stuff because it's an inescapable part of an active faith with Jesus, and you have to get that order correct. A relationship with Jesus means that it is inescapable that you will do stuff with him. It's inescapable like we read in james 2 show me your faith without deeds i will show you my faith by my deeds a real faith motivates action actions tied to the unique situations in which you and i find ourselves in in life day in and day out even actions that we might think are insignificant or tiny now there may there may be an obvious uh or explicit calling but often there are there there aren't but it's just that we need to do things that are laid out for us in the Bible. What do I mean by that? I mean things like pray, help the poor, help the sick, help the needy. No further instructions are needed there. We are called to do those things. Now I did a tally, and the Bible says that nine times David inquired of the Lord, which is Bible speak for he had a relationship with God, and he's seeking input from his creator He's submitting his plans and the ideas he has for the actions he wants to take in life to that God, to God, and then walking with him in that. We see it time and time again in the Psalms, a man who calls out desperately to God. And I think that is why God calls David a man after his own heart. And why ultimately Jesus was a king in the line of David. The last thing I want to say is this. God called David to be a king, but he could just as well called him to stay a shepherd. And he would have had great plans for him in that role. And if that was the life God called him to, then there would have been no greater calling for David to have lived in God's eyes. Because I think it's, and I think that's important for us to realize because it's very easy for us to think, oh, he's called David to be a king. And that was very special, and I had a very special thing in the narrative that God w- was telling, the whole backstory in the Old Testament, and blah, 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 right? No, I mean, we, we, we read that and we go, I want to be that too. So, but if God's not calling me to be that, well, it's not that significant. But if you're living the life that God has called you into and doing the things that he has made clear to you to do, that is great. The quality of a life is in the difference between what we do and God's plan for what we should do. And we only get access to that through Jesus and the thing is is to walk with him in that and I want you to know that if you've met Jesus you are already qualified qualified for whatever he has for you how often do you like David inquire of the Lord how is that relationship looking do you really do you really want to know what Jesus thinks about what you're doing in life often i don't i just i just want to do what i want to do you know do you want to walk with walk in lockstep with him what would that book of the bible say about you if one was written about you if i were writing the headline to that book it would probably say something like saved but stubborn (laughs) or saved but way more interested in being comfortable or even saved but not that bothered really about anything else. I just wanna do my own thing and go through life. I mean, a person after God's own heart, a person who walks humbly with their God, isn't that way, way better than saved, but meh, I'm just gonna do whatever I want. I mean, a person after God's own Heart who walks humbly with God, that is way, way better. And that's what's available to you and me through the Spirit. And we can't get there alone. I can't get there alone. None of us can. So maybe, like me, you need to repent of neglecting your relationship with Jesus or being stubborn with Him. Maybe not, but maybe. The best news is that the way is always open to those who want to come back to the cross and bend a knee. God always, always, always wants that relationship with us to walk with us in lockstep. We just have to come back to him and remember these lessons from David's life.